Welcome to the Fostering Change Podcast, Season 3. I'm Rob Shear, the founder of Comfort Cases and your host. Together, we have made such a difference in the world. We've met with leaders and change makers in the foster care system. We've met with charities and philanthropists, celebrities, authors, and so much more. We'll continue to bring you guests who will share how together, as a community, we can bring about change. Welcome once again to Fostering Change. Well, you know, here we are, another episode of Fostering Change. You know, as I see this season coming to an end, I'm going to have to tell you something that I've realized. I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted, but I will tell you every single time I get my guest list of who's going to be on this particular week, I do get energized again. And I am so, so excited to have this conversation with my friend Joseph Tolis. A lot of you might have seen Joseph. He has been on so many different shows that I've read about him, Instagram or Facebook. He actually was on my dear friend Rachel Ray's show, and you all know how much I love Rachel and how much she does for our organization. But without further ado, because I want Joseph to be able to tell his story, ladies and gentlemen, welcome my friend Joseph to Fostering Change. Joseph, welcome. Thank you, Rob. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So you actually um, got to go on stage and um, sit with my friend Rachel, I hear? I did. I did. All of my kids did. Uh, You know, I had, at that point, I had adopted uh, seven and they sort of went in blocks. So the, they were first four kids and they were out on their own and grew up. And then I started all over again. I got a chance to retire and I was sitting there just ready to plan a life in Puerto Rico or somewhere uh, exotic. And the phone call came. And so I started all over again and I am now up to eight. Wow. So we got to go back to the very beginning because, you know, number one, you worked many years in protective service agencies. So you worked firsthand with kids who were like me and like my five babies who all came into um, child welfare. And so you actually are a licensed mental health counselor. Is that correct? It is very correct. Um, I do trauma-informed therapy primarily for uh, families and children that are affected by foster care. And that's what I'm doing in my retirement. But before that, I worked for several different really cool demonstration projects where the state was, and this is New York State, was trying to keep uh, families together. And so they provided the funds and I worked with uh, relocated homeless families uh, coming out of the New York City shelter system, all with children substance abusing mothers who gave birth to a positive toxicology child. They went home together with all the supports that we had. So I was typically the the clinical supervisor, home-based clinical supervisor, because we provided services in home and out of home. But before all that... But Joseph, we've got to go back even further than that, because um, your life started in the foster care system. It sure did. I was... uh, born to a 15-year-old mother and a 16-year-old father of different races back in 1959. (laughs) And yes, a long time ago in a land far away. Um, And I was placed up for, uh, placed into the foster care system immediately. Um, I had three placements before one stuck. 
And then I was uh, with that family for most of my childhood. And I actually aged out of foster care without being adopted. Yeah, very much like me. Do you ever wonder why they didn't adopt you? Well, it's, you know, that's a journey, right? So I, I have, you know, thought about my parents, um, wondered about my parents at different points, obsessed about who I am and where I belong in this world, um, because all of those connections were taken away. Um, as I got older, I started maybe filling in the blanks or, or maybe even giving excuses for them because they were 15 and 16 at the time. And the reality is, is if their families weren't going to be supportive of this, they were not going to be able to take care of me. I also have a full biological sister who was born a year after me, um, was also, who was also placed in care. And it, it's a funny story. As I got older and started working in school systems, I ended up living in and working in the same uh, town as my biological mother. So my nieces and nephews, I was a school counselor and my, my nieces and nephews were on my caseload and I was not allowed to tell them. So I was kind of acting like, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Speed Racer, but I was kind yes. of, I was kind of Racer X, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the hidden, the hidden uh, uh, figure. Now, and some of them do know now that I am uh, their uncle. But it was really, really just an interesting uh, turn of events, as has been my entire life. Was there a time that you like wanted to go knock on her door and say, um, this is me and it's time for us to have that blunt conversation? Well, yes. Uh, so but I, I'll tell you what happened prior to discovering that I was so close. I was about 40. And now I guess mid thirties and I had found uh, the name of my grandmother in the phone book. And I put all of my documents and my resume and my pictures, all of the stuff that I was so very, very proud of. And so I was working at that time at the empire state building and taking an express bus home. So I grabbed my mail to leave work that day. Uh, got into the bus, and there was a reply to my the portfolio I had sent to sent to my grandmother, and I opened it. I was excited, you know. I could still feel, you know, the the emotion. I was just so glad to have made a connection. And she had written how we should have been aborted. Oh. Um, and I was a grown man on an express bus, and they don't make stops weeping uncontrollably. I had not prepared myself for that type of rejection. It was a really, really traumatic uh, experience for me. But then I learned that uh, something about myself, you know, that I am, I am, you know, I have, I have a weakness in that area. So knocking on her door isn't necessarily going to solve anything, especially if there's rejection at the other end. Now, I've never set eyes on, on my mother, and nor has she me, although I have seen her as I drove back and forth to work, right? I've seen her, like, walking in and out of her house or once she was driving next to me. I can be reduced 
to the little boy who wondered and wanted and wished in a second by uh, my biological mother. And um, so I'm not the person that's going to go knocking on the door. Yeah. My you know, friends, it, it, it's my- that moment in, in every child's life who, who's grown up in the system. You know, I, I, I still, you know, I'm 55 and I, I still um, look back and think, there would be anything that I would ever do to just have her look at me and say, I love you and not feel like I was a mistake or, you know, as your grandmother said, you know, it's just, I have to tell you that just, it, it hurts my heart so much that first of all, it hurts my heart that there's someone in this world who has such hatred to make a comment like that, you know, and instead of, you know, seeing what all you've gone through, because by the way, Joseph, you are definitely a prodigy when it comes to kids in foster care. I mean, we know as well as I do that only 54% of kids actually in our system will graduate from high school and knowing that only 3% get a college education and here you have you know not only did you age out but you then put yourself through college that you came back to work for the same system in my opinion that you know didn't really wasn't there for you in so many ways I mean I just feel that children when children go in the system at such a young age especially as young as you and your sister did and you never get permanency You know, that to me is a fail of society. It is a true fail of society. You know, do you have any relationship with your foster parents at all? Well, they've both uh, since passed away. Right. You know, that wasn't the best situation either. They loved us, but they they were limited in their ability to parent. They also had very interesting and disconnected uh, upbringings, um, which made them who they were. Um, so I am in touch with, you know, there were six, there were six core children, which is, which is what I call it. So there were four foster children. I was the oldest of the foster children and they had two biological children. Um, and only three of us have survived, um, for, you know, all of the reasons that my parents didn't have the resources or the know-how to really give kids what they needed to, to survive in a, in a changing world. I mean, it was just, you know, they, they, at one, they got divorced at some point. Um, I, there's even, you know, my, my mother, I, that's who she was to me, attempted suicide at one point. And the system wasn't set up to share that information. So all of the resources that it, certainly I try to provide and that people like yourself bringing information and resources to folks so that they can do this successfully, we're not there. So we were a house of secrets. And we, you know, there was, you know, and that, and it ultimately destroyed three of my brothers. Um, And you know what, I have to tell you, I think that we have more houses of secrets than you can ever imagine. I think that those houses still exist. I think that, you know, I have spoken to children who have aged out of the system. You know, they always said to me, I never told anyone because I thought where I would go would be worse than I'm at, you know, would be worse. the unknown, right? The fear of just not knowing. And in foster care, that's a sort of a permanent experience, right? You, the fear of what the next day is going to bring. And if you can think for just a second or for people who just 
imagine living with fear 100% of the time. Yeah, lived it like you, lived it, lived it, lived it. Listen, we're going to take a quick break, everybody. You know, I am just, first of all, I want you, everyone to visit, you know, josephtolasfoundation.com. Um, you can learn more about his story, more about how you can impact and get involved. You know, I have to tell you, Joseph, I am in awe with you, not just because you you made it when so many else didn't make it, but when we get back, we're going to tell the true story of how much you are given back. We'll be right back. So, hey, Jen, you know, I am so excited about that sweatshirt that you have on. Can you tell all of our viewers and listeners exactly how they can get one and how can they be a part of Christmas is not canceled? Yeah, they can just go to christmasisnotcanceled.com. Check out our merchandise. All of it supports children in need. Join camp. Give a backpack to a child who is experiencing foster care and let's change the world together. I love that. So again, everybody, go to christmasisnotcanceled.com and you be a part of camp because there is nothing better than going to camp with your friends. Take care. Well, you know what? I have to tell you, there is nothing I love more than a conversation, and especially when you have a conversation with someone who really gets it. And that is what my friend Joseph does, is he actually gets it. Now, you know, you heard the part of the story. I mean, here's a kid. He grew up in the system. To receive that letter on an express bus as he had left work from his grandmother, I don't know if I could have picked myself up off the floor, but not only did he pick himself up off the floor, he actually thrived. And Joseph, you know, the thing that gets me is that, you know, for me, as I was growing up in the system and, and, you know, became a business person, it was all about me. I could have cared less about helping anyone else, but you went a totally different route. I mean, you know, you went into getting, you know, licensed as a mental health counselor, you were helping the kids, the same kids where you and I were sitting, but then all of a sudden a spark happened and you decided you wanted to be a dad. Less of a spark and more of a reality, right? I I always dreamed about having a house full of kids from very little. It used to be the, the, the brunt of adult jokes when they would come around and they'd say, tell them what you just told us. I didn't say, I want 12 children. Um, And so I was working in the system and I was waiting for all the magical things to happen, right? To get the right salary, to be in a relationship, to get married, to, you know, have a family. And that stuff never happened. At 49, I said, holy crap, (laughs) I am not going to be a father unless I do something differently. And of course, working in the system and knowing all of the, and seeing all the sad stories about kids that have been removed from their parents and parents who were not, weren't capable of doing what they needed to do to get their kids back. I said, you know, I I think this is time to explore this. And so I was uh, doing a presentation at a a conference or something and somebody from uh, the agency, you gotta believe came up to me and started a conversation with me, which prompted me to take the MAP classes. The MAP classes are the classes that are required for parents to become a foster or adoptive parent. And of course, I had dreams of walking a little child to the bus and putting them on the bus and, you know, making the lunch and the lunch boxes and all that other stuff. 
But as I went further through the process, the reality is like, wait a minute, I have to be at work. I can't, I can't take a little bit. I can't stop work and come pick them up from the bus stop and all that stuff. So they presented me with a, they asked me and um, I said, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll meet a, at that point, he was 17 years old and he was at a, a cross country meet. And another thing about sort of my, my journey is that I was able to run. So I was a runner and I got a scholarship to college, which, which certainly helped in sort of removing myself from the system that I was in. And we were waiting for him and waiting for him. It was a cross country meet and waiting for him to come in. And he, he, like everybody came in except this guy. And I looked at the work and I said, listen, I, this is not a kid for me. I can't, I, I have a reputation to, to uphold, but he finally came in. And the, the reality is he was really a basketball player that was just training and we went forward with the process. So at age 49, my, my first adoption was, um, my son Xavier, who is now 30. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and it's like, this is pretty good. You know, the two of us together were, were, and I had room, the two of us together were, were doing great. And I had asked him if he wanted to, if he wanted a brother, if he wanted to expand the family. And his answer was no, he did not. He did not want to share what he sort of had found um, with anybody else. But I wanted to see, you know, we met and I met, you know, I made him meet another kid, my son, Jonathan. And, you know, we both fell in love. And Jonathan was 14 uh, at the time that we met, 15 when we adopted him. And then I don't know what happened. I just, <laughs> I just keep doing it. In fact, at the end of this month, we have uh, an adult adoption that's happening, um, which will round off that eight. Um, right. So almost every year since then, you know, it was then it was Ronnie, who was who was 13 when I met him. Cremel was 20, like months away from 21. And then there was a break because I was going to retire three-year break and then of course they called me about my son Cameron he was he was 12 at the time sincere is the next 12 at that time and then Trenton was just a few weeks ago he is 17. That is amazing I mean I will tell you when my son Alex arrived at the age of 18 and by the way I did do start out with the babies and so you know my kids were six months two two and four when they arrived but when they were teenagers and you know three years ago when my son Alex arrived at the age of 18, it it actually did something to me when it came to adopting an older child. And it's something that Reese and I've talked about quite a bit, actually, is, you know, we, we're not saying yes, but we're not saying no. And for you to, you know, not only adopt one child, but now eight kids, here you were supposed to retire, you're back, you know, well, I, I'm, that's not happening. You set up this foundation, you have truly, like I said, I'm in awe. I'm in total, total awe. You know, Joseph, how do people get a hold of you? Because I think people need to hear more of your story, because I feel that there are so many kids out there at that age group that no one's looking at, 12 to 21. And I think that they need to hear stories like yours to open up that door for them to say, you know what, I can do this. 
I can do this. Yeah, I I totally spend uh, probably 99% of my time trying to share with people that there are kids out there of that age that are loving, that need love. So people can reach me at tollsfoundation at AOL.com. Um, they can also see, I, I also create uh, videos about our lives and everything that I've done sort of media is stored at joetolls.com. Josephtollsfoundation.com, they can also Great. reach you at. So yes. listen up, everybody. This is what I'm asking you to do. And you know, I always do a lot of ask, and I love the fact that all of our watchers and our listeners, you all step up to the plate. But I really, really want you to visit this foundation. I really want you to see how you can not only impact it, but how you can learn from it. You know, every single child that you support today is part of your future tomorrow is literally part of your future tomorrow. And you have a choice at this moment. You can make your future bright by lifting up one of these kids, or you can do what Joseph and I have seen so many children do, which is end up in penitentiaries. And those are things that we want to stop. Joseph, I have to tell you, um, the conversation, amazing. Thank you so, so much. I want you back on my show. I think that there's going to be a ton of questions asked. Again, if you have any questions, please just email fosteringchange at comfortcases.org. And um, Joseph, congratulations on number eight. You know, congratulations on number eight. And I cannot wait till we get an update to see what comes up with number nine and 10. Everybody, this has been another amazing episode of Fostering Change. You can actually listen to us on any of the podcast platforms, um, whether it's Deezer or Apple or Google, or you can subscribe to our YouTube channel and watch us on YouTube. Again, thank you for making us number one when it comes to foster and adoption and also reminding me all the time, because of people like Joseph, there are so many good humans out there that you all need to hear their stories. Take care. I want to say thank you to each and every one of you for listening or watching the latest episode of Fostering Change. All of us on our team hope that you've learned something new today and have been inspired to be a good human. Now, just a reminder that you can always find Fostering Change on your favorite channels on Google, Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, and others including, of course, comfortcases.org. I want to give a big thank you to all of you for joining us each and every week. And a reminder that if you have a suggestion for a guest, or maybe you might have a question about today's podcast, or are interested in becoming a sponsor of Fostering Change, please don't hesitate to email me personally at fosteringchange at comfortcases.org. Now, that's it for now. Thanks again, and we'll see you next Tuesday. Take care.